0: Sam, for those of you who don't know. Thank you all. Um, Do you prefer Sam or
1: Samantha? Because I started calling you Sam because he calls you Sam. I
0: say. don't care. Okay. I feel like it was kind of fun when I like turned into an adult to be able to be like, oh, my name is Samantha now. That's the big girl name. But I really, I don't mind. It okay. doesn't matter. To me. Um, so this morning I'm going to veer a little bit from the book. So if you've been reading. You might notice that. The chapter is called Mary and the Stranger. We've now moved into the New Testament. Um, the God who turns up in all the wrong places in which a pregnant homeless woman meets a string of strangers and we meet a baby who sparks generosity and genocide. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, however, the author actually doesn't talk about Mary in this chapter. He talks about Jesus um, and sort of Mary by association. And I was actually a little disappointed in that because I feel like Mary is a, is a really good topic to talk about when you're talking about hospitality and welcoming a stranger. So we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to kind of veer away from the book a little bit. Um, if you're reading the book, this chapter is really ex- excellent, especially, um, I'm sure you've picked up at this point in the reading, he has a strong emphasis on um, welcoming refugees and uh, understanding the sort of Christian tradition of in refugees over and over again. Um, but I want us to focus a little bit on Mary this morning. So we're going to take a little deep dive into Middle Eastern hospitality this morning. Um, <coughs> I don't think that us in the West have a very uh, capable understanding of how deeply hospitality runs through Middle Eastern culture, um, particularly the what is uh, current Jewish culture, but also much more in ancient Jewish culture. And the same thing goes for the culture of Islam, the religion of Islam. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was reading um, Malala, her autobiography. And she talks about how when the Taliban entered into the villages, um, the the rules of hospitality, even though the people um, who were there deeply disagreed with what they were bringing into the villages, the rules of hospitality require that they keep their doors open to any stranger who wanders across a path. Um, so that's the depth to which we're talking about here. It's one of the, the significant reasons that a lot of scholars have pointed to as to the reasons why the Taliban were so, so easily able to kind of spread their message is because no one could ever close their doors on them. Um, so that's the depth that we're talking about here when it comes to hospitality. So when we, um, unfortunately, we have a couple of thousand years of tradition that has taught us a few things about the story of the birth of Jesus that are not correct. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a little bit of a rewiring this morning. Um, I hope it won't destroy your nativity scenes too much when you pull them out here in a couple of months. But, um, so one of the, the couple of things that we really miss about the birth of Um, is the fact that it's weird. We are so used to it that we have forgotten that it's a weird happening under weird circumstances with a lot of weird people and things going on. So I want us this morning to kind of dwell in the weirdness. You know, let's be hospitable to the weirdness. Um, And I think it's important that we understand that the things about the Bible, and, and we've said this before in this last, the things about the Bible that strike us as strange, I think we were talking about the calling of um, Isaiah, when the Lord descends, and there are the winged creatures, and they have the eyes, and the yada, yada, yada. That was strange to them, too. That wasn't like a normal occurrence, uh, where they clearly understood all the symbolism, and yes, oh, I get this. I understand exactly like what the Lord is trying to tell me. It was really weird to them, too. Um, and so the events of the Nativity, the events of Jesus we're weird to Mary as much as they are weird to us. And that's what made it such a compelling story. (coughs) So one of the first things that we kind of have to talk about um, is we have this idea that Mary and Joseph are traveling alone. Um, They're traveling through all the sort of desert territory by themselves in the middle of the night sometimes. That's kind of how our stories. Um, which is not true. In fact, Mary would have been traveling with a pretty large contingent of Joseph's family um, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Joseph would have actually been considered royalty in Bethlehem. Uh, It's the city of David. Joseph is from the line of David, so he was a very well-known and popular character. He could have dropped his name anywhere in Bethlehem and been given the absolute best room in the inn, Right. So this idea that they're traveling by themselves, that they get there in the middle of the night, that Mary's literally about to explode with the birth of Jesus, um, that they can't find anywhere to stay, these are actually misreadings of the text. Um, So yeah, if you guys want to turn to either the Luke, (coughs) I'm not going to specifically mention the scripture, but it might be helpful to you guys as we talk about it to kind of read that story. So I want us to, again, let's use our creative imaginations because the Lord has given them to us. And we're not going to draw theology from this, but I think it is interesting to kind of imagine ourselves in Mary's shoes this morning. So if you're Mary, you're probably a young teenager. Um, You've been (coughs) betrothed to someone who is probably significantly older than you, Joseph. We know that Joseph is a pretty kind and understanding character based upon the information that we're given about him. Um, But it's still kind of a daunting relationship, as any marriage is. Um, And now you are pregnant, not with Joseph's child, and you are traveling on a journey with Joseph's family. So (laughs) you can all put yourselves in the shoes of any occurrence with your in-laws early in your marriage, and now imagine that you're pregnant with the child of someone who's not Joseph, and you're traveling with his family. We have no idea if Joseph's family believed Joseph's own words because Joseph receives the message of the dreams of God, and he kind of comes into the story as a believing character, but we have no idea if Joseph's family accepted that or not. Um, So you're married, you're traveling on a journey with in-laws who are probably harboring a significant amount of resentment towards you, um, a significant amount of, you're carrying a significant amount of shame. I think we don't quite understand, when the angel appeared to Mary, and said, you're going to carry this baby. This baby's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be called Emmanuel. Glory, glory, glory. Um, we kind of think, oh, OK. So the angel, this, the deal that Mary sort of signs up for is she's going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. And that baby is going to be Jesus. He's you know, going to save his people. Um, what we don't quite capture, and I think we're missing out on a lot of Mary when we don't pick this up, is that Mary at the time would have known that she was signing on for a lifetime of public sexual shame. That she would be considered by some that didn't believe her story as a loose and lying woman for the rest of her life. And that this child that she carried would carry that shame with him as well as the result of her actions. So imagine yourself as a teenager and granted, there was a different uh, perception there. Mary would have probably considered herself a woman um, at the time when she, she went through puberty. Um, so she would have already kind of, she would have been more mature mentally than we are as teenagers now because she would have had a lot more responsibility placed on her. But imagine yourself as a young woman, um, and an angel appears to you and tells you you're going to carry a child and also carry a lifelong reputation of being a slut. And this is what you agreed to doing. So um, Mary's traveling with Joseph's family. They arrive in Jerusalem. We have this idea, like I said, that um, Mary is about to just explode with the birth of Jesus. Um, the text actually says that Joseph went and made preparations for her. So there was enough time for Joseph to kind of put preparations in order. Um, it also says that he's born <coughs> and placed into a manger because there's no room in the inn. That's the actual text. Um, what we've kind of driven the story towards with our tradition is that uh, so Mary and Joseph sort of walk up to the door of the inn. In fact, I'm quoting almost exactly from the children's cartoon that I used to watch around Christmas. They walk up to the door of the inn. The door, it's midnight. The door opens. The light comes out of the crack. You know, and the innkeeper sort of barely sticks his face off the door. Um, Joseph says, "My wife is pregnant. We need a place to stay." And the innkeeper says, "Oh, there's right here, And first he slams the door in his face. Um, so, probably not correct. Um, like I said, Joseph would have been considered royalty in Bethlehem. He could have dropped his name, said his name, said his father's name. You know, quoted his lineage all the way back to David if he needed to. I'm sure he could. And um, any door in the entire city village would have been open. So uh, there's that. There's also the fact that um, in Jewish, ancient Jewish culture, and in most cultures, regardless of the situation, pregnant women, especially women who are about to go into labor, are given incredible care regardless of the circumstances, right? No one, when we think back to the, that deeply seated hospitality of the Middle Eastern culture, no one is going to turn away a pregnant woman. It would have been considered a shame on the entire village. Um, we know that. They up
1: their room before they would exactly. allow a woman to write. Absolutely.
0: Um, so the problem here comes with a slight mistranslation of the word in. Um, okay. Do we have a marker in here so I can draw? It? No? Okay. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. So um, the word in can be translated in a couple of different ways. I'll use my paper here. Um, It is not, we know that it's not actually considered a commercial inn because in the story that Jesus tells of um, the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan takes the man to an inn, right, and pays for his care and everything, it's a totally different word. So it's not the same thing as our our idea of like a hotel. Um, An inn can also be translated into a guest bedroom. So a traditional um, peasant house, which is what they would have been in, in in Palestinian culture, would have been shaped like this. (laughs) Um, And there would have been kind of two sections to the house, right? So the front section, which would be one big room, and that would be where the family slept, ate, did everything, all together in one big room. And then there would have been some stairs right here, and then there would have been kind of a basement area um, this is where things were stored. This is where at night, there's a door right here. The animals are brought into the house at night. So they're, uh, the family cow and a couple of sheep, whatever they had would have been brought into the house at night. Um, they would have done that for mostly for warmth and for safety. Because um, if you bring a bunch of very large animals into a house, it's going to get real hot real quick. Um, and they're safer in the house. They could be stolen outside of the house. So it's not there's still one big room, but there's kind of a like a small basement, it would be, would have been dug out so that the family portion of the room was almost like a stage. Um, and there was been some, like I said, some steps. And then this would have been considered the quote unquote stable, right? And then into the side here, into kind of the front portion of the stage would have been dug out a couple of divots where they would have put the food, this would, these would have been the mangers. Um, so what probably happened was Joseph and Mary arrive at just the house of Joseph's extended family. Um, we know this because um, we know from previous scripture that Mary had Elizabeth just a couple of miles away. So if they weren't capable of finding any place in Jerusalem, they would have just hopped over to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. And they would have taken care of them there. Um, they probably would not have chosen a stable over the house of family. So what probably happened was this house, sometimes they had additional guest bedrooms that would be built off the back of them. What probably happened was Joseph had a ton of family that was coming into town for the census. This house was probably packed full. There was probably already a family staying in the guest bedroom, which we translate to in. And so Mary had to have her baby in the area where the the, uh, animals would generally stay and then they placed the baby in the manger, which actually was a really popular place to put babies. Um, so again, we're kind of rewriting, rewiring what we kind of think about the story. Um, and, <coughs> <coughs> and What you're
1: saying is not different from the biblical accounts, no. it's just that how we've interpreted it. we sort of interpreted yeah. the scripture,
0: yeah. And again, I encourage you guys to go back and look at the actual scripture. Um, everything that I say here is to be backed up by your own study This, all of this information actually came from a book which they did a class on last uh, semester called Jesus through Middle Eastern Eyes which is an awesome read um, it's the very first chapter so uh, yeah so let's put ourselves kind of back in the story here with Mary so we arrive <laughs> we're traveling with Joseph's family carrying the baby that's not Joseph's um, we arrive at the house of Joseph's family, which is packed full of people. For those of you guys who have given birth, would you have liked to have done it in a <laughs> room packed full of Joseph's family? Um, she is at the mercy of Joseph's family, his mom, his aunt, his female cousins, as they care for her and help her deliver this baby. She's probably not delivering this baby by herself, you know, sort of leaning against a veil of hay, which is kind of what I always meant. Um, But she's at the mercy of Joseph's family. And again, we don't know how Joseph's family actually felt or believed about who this child was. (coughs) Um, So that's kind of the first first piece of that. And I want us to kind of revisit this question as we continue to talk through this this morning. Um, We have this perception of Mary as this sort of really passive figure in the story carries the baby, she delivers the baby, she pops up every now and then in Jesus' story, usually to do very mom things, right? Um, but I think there's a specific reason why the Lord chose Mary to carry this child. And it it, it comes before she ever carries the child, right? the The text says that he chose her because of specific characteristics that she already possessed before she was the virgin mother. And I think we lose that. We lose the unique personality of who Mary was and what we can kind of deduce from the text were her characteristics and her personality. So I want us to kind of continue to ask ourselves as we walk through this story and we consider some of the extended circumstances that Mary was under. If you were describing Mary as like a person that you knew, How would you describe her? What are the characteristics so far that we've talked about at this point that stand out to you about who she is, how she does things, how she believes, what she believes? What are some of those things that stand out to you guys so far? to the
1: deal of being forever publishing <laughs> of course it's funny as you know as you read that account you know it was never you have the option of being It's you know yeah. you you will you know the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will over it. I mean I was saying it wasn't I mean I, I know it's part of the story but I'm just saying it's it's like it's hard it's hard to imagine. It's one of those offers you just don't say no right. to, kind of a thing. But yeah,
0: yeah. Which I think tells us that she may have understood, which is incredible to me that a young woman could really understand this. Because as young women, we tend to put the media before the, you know, the long term. Uh, as young people, we do that. Period. It's incredible to me that she had, she already had such a deep understanding of the long term story. Yes that the immediate even the immediate being her own lifetime the immediate wasn't as important to her as what would come after. i mean that's an incredible amount of wisdom for any person to hold much less someone who's very young yeah i was going to say mature yeah incredibly mature i like to imagine that mary was an eight on the enneagram um <laughs> i think that she has a <laughs> yeah, um, one of my best friends but I think that she has that impassioned and emboldened heart for the oppressed and for justice um, and we, we see this repeated over and over again throughout um, her story so let's um, move on to the next piece of the story which is the shepherds show up right so shepherds in um, the culture at the time would have considered would have been the equivalent to what we would call homeless people now. Um, they lived outside of the community. They physically lived outside of the community. And if you guys remember back to Levitical Law, it was very important who was allowed to come into the community. Um, So, in particular, women who were on their periods or who had just given birth were actually sort of passed, they had to kind of leave the the sphere of community while they were unclean. Um, People who had leprosy were required to leave the sphere of community because they were unclean for, you know, until they were, um. cured. people who had had conducted um, certain behaviors or sins had to leave the sphere of community. So when you, that's a very significant thing for the ancient Jewish culture is the idea of community. It's a it's a sphere of safety. Um, you know the people who are in your community. You can trust the people who are in your community. Not only because you know them, but also because they're they have to be ritually clean to be in the community. Um, so the shepherds would have lived pretty permanently outside of that sphere of safety. So even though they would have been Jews. Um, they would not have been considered people you welcomed into your house. They were unclean. They dealt with animals all day long. Um, they didn't have a, a home base, right? They didn't have a place where you could say, this is mine. This is where I come from. Where you came from was very important in this culture at the time. Um, people did not grow up wanting to be shepherds. It's kind of what you were forced into Is the lowest of the low. So this would have been very much the equivalent of what we consider homeless people um, now. And so I want to, again, let's enter back into the story with Mary here. You've delivered the baby. You're surrounded by Joseph's family. Um, If you guys have ever been in a family or around a family where there were controversial circumstances around the conception of a baby, those tend to sort of kind of evaporate a little bit when the baby arrives. (coughs) Excuse me. Everyone's kind of focused on the child. You can't be like, oh, I don't want to hold that baby, you know? Um, so this is kind of, you know, we don't know if it's the same night. We don't we don't know if Mary delivered during the day. We've got no idea how much time has passed. Um, but Mary is probably resting. She's probably not the person that opens the door to the shepherds, right? Like, she doesn't get up and welcome. Um, Whoever did open the door to the shepherd probably wanted to immediately close the door to the shepherd, right? Kind of (laughs) like
1: when salesmen come to your door.
0: Exactly. And we're closing. (laughs) Um, We have no idea how the shepherds got into the house. Um, Again, this is kind of where we can use our creative imaginations. I'm not sure if you guys were here, uh, not last Christmas, Josh talked about the specific sects of Judaism that Mary and Joseph were from. So Mary would have grown up in a sect, and I do not remember the name of what he called it, um, that was very poor um, and very focused on social justice. They were very much influenced by the idea of a Messiah who would return, which is why the I think the angel's story to Mary, her, his, his declaration is so compelling to her, because he uses that. Right? He says, your child will rescue this nation. He will bring freedom to the oppressed. He will do all of these kinds of things. And I think that's one of the most compelling reasons why Mary signs on to this, because she's already grown up in a group of people in a family that deeply believes in these things and deeply considers it their own responsibility to bring these things out of into uh, the world. So
1: yeah. so why would, why would she and Joseph already be if that's the case, why would they already have been kind of betrothed to each other?
0: It's I'm just not, curious. Yeah. I mean, I'm just
1: saying that's yeah. so not. So Joseph did
0: kind of come from a different um, sect, right? He came from a sect that was strongly influenced by justice. They were very concerned with legal justice. He would have been very educated in the justice of the Lord. So these two things kind of align. And that it's not, I don't think from my understanding of it, I don't think that the, the like line between the different sects of Judaism was uncrossable. Um, so I, the Mary and Joseph may have found this in common, this idea of justice for the oppressed in common. Um, and so I, is that kind of, why would they have been betrayed? Right, I was just saying that, that it different?
1: would just, if, if it would seem that they would be an, unlike, an unlikely pairing. I guess that's what I'm saying, but
0: I yeah, they may very well have been. I'm like like they may have
1: aligned ideologically, but not necessarily in other ways.
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. Mary probably would have come from a lower social class than okay. uh, Joseph would have. Yeah. So we don't know. We don't have a lot of information right. around um, their marriage or their betrothal or why right. their parents chose or if their parents even chose um, yeah, that Jordan. I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, they were to be married before, mm-hmm. right? So.
0: Yeah. Um. So if we know this about Mary, I kind of like to use my favorite imagination. And imagine that the shepherds come to the door. And the fact that the shepherds left their flocks is something that we, um, I think, maybe pass over a little bit. Shepherds leaving their flocks would have lost their jobs. Um, you, you literally walked away from your job. So the fact that they take, the, uh, take for granted that word of the angel and decide to leave their flocks and come to the door And they probably know that they're going to come to the door and be turned away. Um, They are not welcome (laughs) in Jewish society. They walked up to anyone's door, the door probably would have been shut in their face. So the risk that they take based upon very little information um, and with all reality going to have been about to be turned away from the sort of object of their the reason why they left their flocks in the first place is an incredible risk for them to have taken. They show up at the door. Mary's resting. The house is packed with people. Right. An aunt opens the door. She sees the shepherds. She's about to close the door in their face. Um, I imagine at this point that the shepherds start protesting. Right. No. 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 Listen to what happened. Like uh, we're here for a reason. And Mary catches sort of a whiff of this conversation. Um, and Because of what we know about Mary, that she was already tuned into the plight of the outsider, the plight of the stranger, the plight of the poor. I imagine that she heard she hears this and she tells this to let the shepherds inside. The shepherds come inside and they see the baby. (coughs) And we know the rest of the story because it appears in scripture. So I want us again to kind of return to this question of again, now that the shepherds are into the scene. Who is Mary? How would you describe her to a friend? What is her unique personality? Why on earth was she a peasant woman chosen by God?
1: think it just continues to theme that Jesus didn't come from nobility. maybe in his bloodline he did, but I'm just yeah. saying, you know what I'm saying? Like it that it, it just makes it just makes the story more compelling for her for you know again for Jesus to be born of this humbling yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she would have Automatically, somewhat been humble, just because of her her state. I think it goes into the fact that we don't see the
0: first well, only small glimpses into the first thirty years of his life. Mm -hmm. But yet, if this is indicative of what he was taught day in and day out, and what he experienced day in and day out, of what a calling of a person should be, this set the tone for the ministry that we end up seeing. I think we sometimes underestimate mother has. Mm-hmm. We know it in an but then we forget to look at Mary and
1: say, this is the woman that held the hand of, you know, of the Lord we follow and believe in. And we can see f- how early that started of potentially the humbleness and how early God started that ministry that it just didn't happen to be a person that wanted to go save
0: the yeah. world. He picked someone who knew that could help foster what he wanted to be. Yeah, I think this tells us that Mary, in her own right, was a woman of God. Before Jesus was ever in the picture, she had the characteristics that God was looking for in the woman He wanted to raise His child.
1: Certainly, um, a lot of his, a lot of his compassion and empathy came from her. Yeah. You know, had to. I mean, it's just only logical.
0: Um, so I want to move on um, to one of the darker parts of the story. The next piece of the story is of course that the Magi show up, the wise men. Um, and that that in and of itself has a lot of really interesting significance when you start thinking about it. The fact that Jews did not like outsiders, they did not like pagans. Like The two things the Jews didn't like the most, outsiders, pagans, right? Um, these three guys, we assume there's three because there's three gifts. there could have been 14 show up looking all strange from a totally different world, a totally different culture, probably speaking a totally different language. Um, and Mary's like, yeah, come on in. That that in and of itself is an incredible sh- sign of hospitality from a person who was probably raised to not like pagans. But I want to skip kind of to the next piece of the story, the sort of dark side of the, the Christ story, which is, which is the massacre of the um, so what happens is the the wise men come and they appear before. <coughs> excuse me, they appear before Herod. Herod was a Jew, by the way. Um, he was he was put into power by the Romans. He, this is probably not the Herod that Jesus appears before. Um, this is his father. Uh, we already know that this guy is malicious because he's already killed his own wife and daughter for crimes that we're not really sure about. He just decided one day that was what he wanted to do. So we already know this guy is malicious. So again, I want to enter back into the story of Mary. You, Jesus is probably somewhere around two at this time. We know because that's the cutoff in here. It says, kill everyone under two, every male under two. He's probably somewhere around two since this time. So I want you to imagine for a second that you have a two-year-old boy And it's also entirely possible that they had more children. Um, We know that Jesus had brothers. It's entirely possible that um, Jesus had, that there were more than just one child under two in his family. Um, So Mary and Joseph very likely faced the risk of losing more than one child. I want you to imagine that you are um, the mother of a two-year-old at least one and you know that a powerful figure is hunting for your child and killing every two-year-old boy he comes across, I think that that is an incredible weight to carry as the mother of the child that's being hunted. And you have to imagine that Mary received the rage of other mothers who lost that already ostracized because of the perceived sexual sin, she is now once again ostracized because her child caused this. She caused this. Mary and Justice flee to Egypt. They're gone for about three years. They come back. People have long memories. Three years is not enough. I want to once again ask the question, who was Mary? What characteristics did she have? One of the things that she carried with her for the rest of her life because of saying yes to an angel on a hot day. If you were describing Mary as a friend of yours, what would you say about her?
1: And you got yeah. a nerve, Coming back showing yet. your face. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I, and you can understand why they would say that, like you said. I mean, it's
0: yeah. The community would have known that Mary called this child the Messiah, right? Because of all this, the stories of its birth, and those stories would have traveled back with them when they come home. Um, the. They would have known what Mary claimed about this child. And so they would have known when Herod started killing kids in the name of finding the new Jewish king or the new Jewish Messiah that it was her fault. She'd spread these rumors about her kid, and now this was bringing all of this down on this community. Um, again, I think that there's so much to learn about God and the story of Mary and who Mary was and who God chooses. A lot of times we see, in the, especially in the Old Testament, God choosing random people who are clearly unqualified. I think this is the case where God chose someone who was deeply qualified, who was maybe not yet prepared because she was young, but who was deeply ready was deeply faithful already, and was deeply obedient. Um, so I want to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier, Stephen, and what uh, Josh was actually talking about when he gave this sermon a couple of years ago, which was I had never really considered the idea of Jesus learning things from his parents, right? Like, you sort of get this idea that Jesus is wise at three. He's right. <laughs> walking at six feet. Right, yeah. yeah every Reciting Psalms, yeah. Um but that he actually would have learned things from Mary and learned things from Joseph and learned things from his community. Um, I do a, I do a lot of work with orphan and vulnerable children, and so I have seen firsthand what it looks like for a child to be ostracized from a community, to um, go out and play and have the other mothers say, oh, don't don't play with them, right? And you have to wonder how much of this Jesus got it and how much Mary carried that, as any mother will carry, you know, the hurt of her children. You have to wonder if Jesus had friends, if he just had his brothers and sisters. Um, and you have to wonder what his brothers and sisters carried home with them from preschool, right? Like, um, mom, somebody said that Jesus is a, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And how Mary had to use diplomacy in her own house to make Jesus feel like he was welcome there. So you just, I just, I this is not like kind of where I like to dwell, right? Like I like to kind of think about the circumstances that that they were under, and we get this a very clear picture of this when Jesus comes back to his village after he started his ministry, and he preaches, and they say to him, "Who is this? This is the son of." No son would have ever been called by his mother's name. It would have been the son of Joseph. Can you not imagine that the son of Mary, that phrase, was almost like a slang term for Jesus, right? That it was something that was repeatedly thrown in his face. He was the only kid in the village not called by the name of his father. We basically call him a bastard. Exactly. Exactly. Son of Mary. And when Jesus hears this, you know, we think of triggers. You've got childhood trauma, you've got triggers, right? Jesus hears this after he started this ministry, after he's done all these incredible works, after he's declared all these like, wonderful things. He's literally declaring freedom for the oppressed when they say, Who is this? Can you not imagine that triggering in his mind? Son of Mary. I guess. He was
1: probably very proud to be called the son of You know, yes. I mean, I'm serious because. He, he, I'm sure. Even then, he had it. Certainly, he had at that age. He had insight into, into what she had endured and what she had sacrificed to be his mother. Mm-hmm. Um. As
0: we kind of close out today, I want to talk about how we've sort of painted over this whole concept. So our tradition kind of gives us the understanding that Jesus' birth identified him as the Messiah. And we we almost use it as evidence, right? Oh, but well look at all these things that happened at his birth. Clearly this was the Messiah. And if anybody didn't see it, they were just blind. Right? We've got 2,000 years telling us that, a tradition. In Jesus' lifetime, his birth would have been evidence for his mother's mm-hmm. sin. Nothing else. A few select people who had either received the direct word from God in the form of a dream or angel or believed the story of Mary and Joseph would have understood. But or
1: understood the scriptures of his coming right. and, really, and really believed that this was a fulfillment. Yeah. But those were...
0: Few and part the, Right, they were the one Yeah, I mean, we see that even in Jesus' ministry when he's speaking and talking for himself. When someone else is trying to, you know, he's still a baby and someone else is trying to describe this, there's no telling who actually believed. So we see Jesus' birth as this glorious, wonderful, look at all these amazing things that happens kind of thing. And and it is in the long-term story, right? But in the short-term story, Jesus' birth would have marked him for his entire life as a bastard, as an outsider, as a stranger. would have marked Mary for her entire life as a loose woman, a lying woman. A woman who brought shame down on her her family. (coughs) And so, I want to ask a couple of really hard questions. And I'm not trying to lead you guys anywhere, but I do think these are important questions for us to be bouncing around in our brain in our modern day lives. Um, the first is this. It's easy. As, it's easy for us to say, two thousand years later. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have treated Mary like that. I wouldn't have treated Jesus like that. Any child is welcome in my home. But I want you to remember back to when you were in high school. You may not have gone to a high school like mine, but I had. I had so many 16 year old classmates that showed up pregnant. We had a new one every month. What was their welcome like in my high school? What would an unmarried pregnant woman's welcome be in our church? In our Sunday school class? In our small groups? In our homes? That's the first question I want to ask. The second question is a little bit more difficult. And again, I'm not leading you guys anywhere, right? but I do want you asking yourselves these questions because I think they're important. I grew up being taught that a woman's purity was the single demarcating factor for if God could use her or not. You could use her or not. Okay. Okay, or not. Okay. Yeah. That a woman's purity almost defined who she was until the point where she got married. I don't know if you if you ladies grew up with the same kind of thing. That was a very, very um, important part of my education as a young Christian woman. But I want to ask a question. If we look at the story of Mary, and if we see that not only was God willing for his son to be associated with a woman who was called loose raised by her defined by her he also entered into his son's lineage three women two one was a prostitute Rahab the other was a woman pretending to be a prostitute And then the third, depending upon how you read the story of Ruth, potentially was an unmarried woman who had sex with Boaz, right? Outside of marriage. If these three women are in the lineage of Jesus, women who were defined by their sexual sins, and yet he still found room for them, and he allowed his son to be associated and defined by a woman who is perceived as being sexually is it possible that we're putting a little too much emphasis on the purity of our young men and women? Not that it's not important, and that it's not a deeply wholesome thing to talk about and encourage, but are we perhaps focusing a little too much on it? Not something I want to know the answer, just something I want you to think about. My husband's squirming. He's like, <laughs> I didn't know she was gonna ask this. <laughs> <laughs> we will be the conversation on the ride? <laughs> You'll think these are conversations that don't happen frequently. <laughs> <laughs> well. So, that's all I have for you guys this morning. Yeah. I, mean, I, applaud your, your or...
1: I applaud your. I applaud your. No, no, no. I'm serious. I, I really like the way it's meant that you. <coughs> you not force us, but you compel us to think of these things in real people, event, you know, circumstances, because we don't. We, we haven't traditionally done that in the church, in any church, I don't think. We don't really think about the day-to-day practical part of, of all of these things. And so I applaud you for that. I really do. I, really do. Um, I don't know about these. And you know, one thing I was going to say though is is that there, you were talking about girls showing up pregnant. The probably the irony of that situation is probably then there was there was too much of a scarlet letter kind of kind of a way. Maybe not. You're so young. Maybe not. But but it's almost become too far the other way too. Now there there is, you know, there, but I mean, maybe this was your suggestion, but there, there is no shame. Like maybe there was too much shame at one time, but maybe now there's no shame. And that's, I don't know if that's yeah. really the way either. Maybe somewhere yeah. in between is really the, mm-hmm. the, I don't know. I believe
0: I don't that one it of the better. most holy things on earth is balance. Yeah. And that the pendulum can't
1: swing the other way. We have to find the middle ground. Right. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I've
0: Good. <laughs> Thank you guys for sitting and listening to me this morning. Does anybody have any prayer requests before we break up? Seth, you have
1: one? Yeah, we're getting, having a baby tomorrow morning. Wow. Okay, yeah, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Be a family before this time of tomorrow. So. That's, That's why awesome. Christine's at home. <laughs> <laughs> so you are you're inducing, I guess then? Uh, C-section. C-section. Okay. Yeah, she had she had C-section uh first go around. Okay. So. I yeah. cry, I?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes ma'am. Ma'am. Lincoln.
1: Would you mind? Uh, uh, you mm-hmm. <coughs> <coughs> I didn't think they did baby. Oh, but I'm thinking. Oh, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm sometimes. thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm thinking. <laughs> Because that same time was when it was out in West yes yeah anything else okay. okay my dad heads down to texas
0: on the 22nd 22nd yeah
1: that is a wednesday i don't know <laughs> i guess i'm on the 21st okay let's pray then my father again just thank you for the day and, and thank you for just this opportunity once a week to, to gather together and to encourage each other Take some time, collectively to study. And, uh, thank you for Samantha's desire to uh, challenge us and desire to uh, make us see things in ways that maybe we haven't before. And I thank you for her gifts that you've given her. Thank you for Stephen. Really we just so thankful they come into our fellowship. Pause specific now. We think of Seth, and Christine, and just the beautiful prospect. Of being parents again and father we just want to pray that will, this day will be a peaceful one and there will be no anxiety about, uh, about the c-section tomorrow and that this time tomorrow we'll have another beautiful baby in our fellowship and so father we give you thanks for that we thank you that uh, uh samantha's father mike has uh, has been it will be entering into the program in at, at houston Indiana Anderson. We just pray that there will be miraculous things happen there. Father, again for the day, we thank you. Thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for the love you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. You guys have wonderful
1: thanks Thanks. Uh,